0: Welcome to the Way Life Should Be podcast, inspiring stories of people who are making the world a better place, the qualities that guide them, and lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Lauren Lombard. I am here with Kenzie Henson, the founder and manager of Make a Difference Food Pantry, in North Carolina. And she is a remarkable young lady who is just 15 years old and has been running this pantry since she was 10 years old. I think so often we hear of needs around us and we want to make a difference or we think somebody should make a difference and we don't think that we're qualified or that we have the ability to meet those needs. What's inspiring about Kenzie's story is that she doesn't let those barriers hold her back. She is taking all of those opportunities that are before her and finding ways to meet the needs of those around her with dignity and grace and doesn't let her youth stand in her way. And I'm looking forward to you hearing more of her story. So, Kenzie, thank you so much for being here. You are 15 years old and you came up with the idea of starting a food pantry five years ago when you were 10 years old, and I am interested in knowing more about how you came up with the idea of starting this project and what exposed you to some of the needs in your community that made you want to do something about it.
1: So I wrote a 4-H speech called Hunger in Our Communities and researched all statistics that went into the speech. And one in five children and one in three elderly people in Wayne County suffer from food insecurity, along with 54% of households in North Carolina alone also suffer from food insecurity. Mm. So we also volunteered a couple other food pantries, and most of them they just get a box of food. They don't get a choice of fresh produce, fresh bread, things like that, that we take for granted. So I wanted to make a difference, so we called it the Make a Difference Food Pantry. So I went and spoke at the church that my great-grandmother went to before she passed away, and we used their old church fellowship hall for about six months. And then we moved to a strip mall, and we rented three out of the five spaces that were in that strip mall. Then we moved to a 7,000-square-foot building, and that that flooded three times during the hurricane. And then we are now in my five-year goal, actually, is a 10,000-square-foot warehouse with a functioning soup kitchen a closed
0: closet so that's where we are now oh that is amazing so you gave a 4-h speech you were having your research statistics about your specific community that were alarming to you and then you went to volunteer for soup kitchens and were not satisfied with what they were doing or the way they were doing it or you just saw a need for more options for people or more access to food
1: was actually a little bit of both because you know you lose your pride going to a food pantry anyway and asking for help for your family and they were embarrassed because the lady said I feel like I'm going through trash mm-hmm. so that kind of struck home for me and then and to get them to dignity back it's more than just food it's how you make people feel when they walk in the door
0: I love that Yeah, you see the needs around you, but to really humanize the situation and not just address the need, but meet the people where they are, is what really makes a tremendous impact in their lives and helps your program flourish. So I just really love that outlook about really focusing on the dignity of each individual person and the whole experience that they have going through your pantry, they are in need and often marginalized in society, or they are made to feel less than, and you are elevating that experience for them, and I think that's really admirable. Well, thank you. So at 10 years old, you came up with a business plan, and Mm -hmm. more than just a short-term goals, but five- and ten-year goals to develop this idea you had, how did you write the business plan, and what were the steps early on to make that project come together?
1: So, first, I had to call the IRS and discuss and apply to get a 501c3 nonprofit status so when people donate it, they can get a tax write-off. And I had to go to First Citizens Bank and open the bank account for the food pantry as well. And then I had to go to the church board of directors and say, okay, this is what's going to be used for, may I borrow it? And they kind of patted me on the back and said, okay, that's fine. And they thought it was going to be like a short-term thing. So we did that, and then we created the one-year, two-year, the five-year, and the 10-year plan.
0: Wow. So are you comfortable talking to people? Was this outside your comfort zone or are you used to going up to people and asking them for things that they may not expect from someone your age?
1: I had to learn. It's kind of a learning process for the whole thing. So, you know, I do like talking to people, but I'm kind of shy if I don't know you. So
0: mm-hmm. it kind
1: of, kind of a learning process for the whole thing.
0: So you are taking this head on right from the beginning and having to learn a, a lot of different things in the process. What are some of the other life skills that you've learned as you have grown this entry and all of the different elements that you've added on since then?
1: Um, Communication was a big thing that I kind of learned throughout this whole process because where I'm from, people normally don't communicate about other problems because if it doesn't affect their family, then they don't talk about it because it's a stigma thing too. So, We've kinda had to come across that barrier very lately. And also getting people to actually listen and follow directions from someone that's my age is very, very hard because they think, okay, she's a fifteen year old girl, she knows what she's talking about, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing. So it's just been a learning process of the whole thing.
0: I bet. So when you're saying communication, is that partially learning how to frame what you're saying that best reflects the people you're talking about and the people that you're talking to, or is it just developing your message in a way that is easy to understand to people that you're wanting to help fund your project or what areas have you seen a need to develop in communication?
1: Um, To actually learn about people's problems and their needs so you can better help them in the future is the communication that I was talking about. So, if you don't know their needs and you don't know how you can help them, there's basically a huge gap there, so you need to figure out what their needs are and what they lack so you can help them be better in the future. Mhm,
0: Have you found that to be to really come together mostly by just getting to know them or have their yes, they're things? just
1: like our family basically mm-hmm. we all have a relationship with each one of my clients, every volunteer does. So that's how we communicate with them.
0: So you find them opening up and telling you more about the things that they need or better ways to serve them just by developing a relationship with them? Yes, ma'am. That's great. So you said that you had one-year, five-year, and ten-year goals. Can you explain what was part of each of those one-year, five-year, and ten-year plans?
1: The first year I needed a vehicle to transport food from my food pickup to my food pantry. The second year was to move out of the church fellowship hall, and we did the two-year plan within the one-year plan, and then the five-year plan was, in, was the building that I have now with the functioning soup kitchen, a 10,000-square-foot warehouse, and a closing home. And now the 10-year plan is to be a food distribution site for food pantries that can't afford to buy their food from a bigger facility.
0: Wow. So year one, you needed a vehicle. How did you go about getting a vehicle? Did you get one donated? Did you raise money and buy one? Or did you find people that could loan their vehicles when you needed to transport things?
1: Um, Well, my parents bought their new car from that year. He saw that we were putting all my food into my mother's car, and he said, wait a minute, I have a solution for this problem. He threw me the keys to a 2009 Dodge Caravan and said, here, take what you need, and we'll make it work. Wow! And then I got a F two fifty donated to pull the food trailer back in two
0: thousand and fifteen. So wow! So you're getting all these vehicles donated, and you don't even drive yet.
1: Um, I can drive now. I got a license in May, so I got my permit. So oh,
0: wow, that's exciting! So where have the volunteers come for? Where have you recruited volunteers or been able to help rally support for the personnel needs you have to run this and? sort the food, and transport the food, and cook the food, and run all of the different elements of the organization?
1: Um, It's actually a daily struggle to get volunteers at the pantry, or in it for that matter. So we have a range of 12 to 14 regular volunteers that are there every day that we're there. And we've got them from all over the country, we've got them from all over the state. Um, Team RiverCon is a big partner with us as well. To come and help. They actually help put the walls up for the food pantry when we open. So, That's and it wonderful. helps feed them during natural disasters.
0: Excellent. So, have you been able to recruit specific skill sets for accounting or for communication, fundraising, any of those things, or do you have to do the majority of that yourself?
1: I do actually all of that by myself. I pay my bills. I balance the checkbook. I pay everything, but I have a good board of directors that help me every step of the way and help me find funding for this project. So, how often does your board of directors meet? Um, the sec- the third Monday of each month.
0: Every month, okay. And so they they help identify funding opportunities and provide some guidance and direction for the organization as well. Yes, ma'am. Excellent. Are any of them also volunteers with the organization? Or are they mostly in a more of an advisory role?
1: Um, there's three regular volunteers and some of them come when they can. One mm-hmm. is they actually a business owner for a huge potato, slip to and onion company out of Faithin and they ship all it across the country and across and across the world. And they give us the slip and potatoes and the onions for distribution on the Thursday. And then i a social worker, I have a refrigeration company that donated the walking in cooler and the walk-in phrases that I have. And then we have one from USDA. We have one from a retired teacher. We have a retired accountant. And we have, there's some more that I can't remember coming we my head. We have a top fireman. You name it, we have it.
0: So how many clients do you have come through on a weekly basis?
1: Anywhere between 600 and 800 people walk through my door every Thursday.
0: 600 to 800. So you started with, just how many people you you fed? Six hundred families in the first year. Five hundred families. Yes,
1: ma'am. And right now, we're over two million people have walked through the door since 2015.
0: Wow, that is incredible. And now you have six to eight hundred on a weekly basis. So where do you get your food from? You said that you have to do food pickups and you sort the food and all of that. And your ten-year goal is to then redistribute food that is cost effective to other pantries in the area. So do you buy the food from grocery stores or how does that work?
1: So Shanghi Brothers do a big partner of our food pantry as well. We pick up there Monday, Wednesday and Friday we do between three to seven pallets every day when we when we go. And then Chick fil A gives us the access to foods they don't sell. Um so it's a local bread company that gets us bread as little. We glean fresh produce out of a field. We go in my truck and we load up and we pick up collards, sweet potatoes, turnips, turnip greens, whatever So let us take. And we grow fresh produce as well for my senior citizens' mobile pantry. You grow food too? Yes, ma'am.
0: And you're just doing everything. That's amazing. So you work with a senior citizen home or group to develop gardens and raise produce?
1: No, ma'am. We actually have raised garden beds at the food pantry itself. And we take the seeds and, that we get from the USDA, from Mr. John, my board of director, and we grow the produce from the seeds. And we take that to the senior system mobile pantry, which is located in the all as well. And there's three housing developments that we live in. Their
0: homebound patients. They can't drive anywhere. Oh, so you are helping to provide fresh produce for other pantries as well?
1: Yes,
0: ma'am. That's amazing. We
1: already have five Saturday outreach pantries.
0: You have five other pantries? Is that what you said? Yes, ma'am. Five of your own.
1: Wow. So how are
0: you planning to be able to offer food to other pantries? Is it because of the volume at which you will be purchasing at? Or because you have access to different places to get it, or how is your ten-year plan going to work?
1: Okay, so um, I saw U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, and he we discussed food drought areas. Which is a, which? A drought area is there is not a pantry within a 30 to 45-minute radius, and people that don't have money for gas they are not going to have people that don't have money for food. They're not going to have money for gas to go and get the food that they need for their right. family. So we have placed place food pages in these food drought areas. And I hope to have 20 of them open by my 10-year goal.
0: Yes, there, you, you have five right now. You're wanting to expand to 20 in the next five years. Yes, ma'am. That is super cool. So as you have gotten into this project, it sounds like you've learned more and more about the needs in your community and work to help bring food to places that don't have enough access. Because that's a really good point that if people don't have the ability to travel to where the pantry is, then it's not going to meet the people that need it most. Right. So, yeah, that's amazing. So are there other unmet needs that you see in your community beyond food or have you been ever able to partner? You said you also have clothing.
1: In yes, ma'am, opinion? we need the clothing closet every Thursday along with the food. They can shop from 2 to 4 to get their clothes.
0: And where did the clothes come from?
1: They're all donated.
0: Just from your community? Like online, you that you're doing a clothing drive or people just hear about it and drop it off? Or how do you get them? Um,
1: yeah? Yes, ma'am. We list what we need on the Facebook page and then people say, hey, we have donations, where can we bring them to? And they're either clothes or food donations. It just depends. And we have drop boxes
0: too. So you have drop boxes around the city, around town, that you can collect donations from? Yes, ma'am. Three of them. Wow, that's that's really great. So what keeps you going? Like when you are doing the majority of this by yourself, posting on Facebook and raising funds and communicating about what you're doing and trying to find more volunteers, I'm sure it can be really overwhelming at times or draining what is it that keeps you going when things are, are challenging?
1: Probably seeing the little children's faces when they come in and go to the kids' room and they start playing and they start getting their bag of food. It's just they're so excited to get a bag of food and to get a book and to actually sit down and play because most children, they don't have these opportunities anywhere else. So they're really, really excited about it. So that's what keeps us motivated.
0: So you have a kids' room in the warehouse as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what does the kids' room entail? Does it have toys and games and books, or does, are there volunteers there playing with the kids?
1: Um, we actually have three volunteers that are actually in the room. It's called Simba's Kidney Corner, and it's actually named after my boyfriend. We call him Simba because he's like six four two eighty five, 285, and he plays baseball. So his mom said, Jump, Simba, jump, and his name's always been stuck like that. So we call it Simba's Kidney Corner, and he's in there. My friend Cable's in there, and then we have one more. We have an adult in there just in case. Um, they make a craft. They get a book. They get to watch movies. Someone reads to them like a thing one or a cat in a hat costume. It just depends.
0: That's really great. So do you do anything that's seasonal where you have holiday celebrations or anything that you do with the community during certain times of the year?
1: Yes, ma'am. Every holiday, we do a special meal. We did a Valentine's fundraiser where we did a state dinner for two. That was actually a fundraiser. And then for serving our plants, we do a, a St. Patrick's Day. We dress up like, little leprechauns on that Thursday. And everyone gets, like, a little piece of candy that says, you're our lucky charm or something like that. Something cute like that. And then for Christmas, we help families with small children and children. They get a gift for each one of their children. Um, Santa Claus is there, we have the elf on the shelf is there, we have Mrs. Claus, yes ma'am we do up during the holidays.
0: That's really fun. So
1: Kenzie where do you find the time
0: to go to school? It sounds like you are very consumed with all of the needs of running this organization and presumably you're still in school.
1: Yes ma'am I graduate next year. <laughs>
0: So, do you end up spending all your free time working on the organization, or how do you balance all of that?
1: Um, we're out of there on Tuesdays, and I do most of my school and get caught up on Tuesdays, and sadly, on Friday nights, and on Saturdays, it's not caught up on Tuesdays. And I do have a little bit of free time to hang out with my friends and hang out with my boyfriend, so it just kind of depends. I'm actually behind in schoolwork now because of the move. It took us a month in a couple of days to get into the building and every day for 16 hours, we were there. So I haven't had much of a chance to actually do my homework, but I'm getting caught up today. So hopefully I'll be done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So how do you work out the
1: flexibility
0: with your education? Are you homeschooled or do you have teachers that work yes. with you?
1: I'm homeschooled actually. So most of my courses are online and then the rest of it is hardback books like you do in school.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that's really the best education you're getting is the real life experiences and the life skills that will both connect you to the needs around you, but also problem solve and figure out, innovate, and things that traditional education doesn't, often the ability to really learn those things in a traditional classroom. You're getting Here's the real education. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so what are your future goals? Like, are you wanting to continue your education? Are you wanting to pursue something further that you've been doing currently or that has piqued your curiosity or really resonated with based on the work you've been doing? Um, What are are your goals for college and and beyond?
1: So I want to be a physicians assistant with a minor in healthcare management and patient advocacy. And I'm hoping I have two uh, more tours this coming month. So we're trying to see where I want to go. So you're already touring colleges? Yes, ma'am, because I graduate next May. Wow.
0: You are wanting to go into medicine. What inspired the need for medicine? Have you been exposed to health care concerns in your community that you're wanting to approach from a preventative health care Perspective or what what kind of motivated you to go into medicine?
1: um actually my senior citizens don't get the health care that they deserve and listen to my veterans and people that have fought for our country need advocacy for what they've done so and so of my family has been in the hospital and they've gone through the medical history and everything. I'm actually a heart patient too, so I want to be a uh, um mm-hmm. I want to be an advocate for people
0: like my senior citizens. That's beautiful. Well,
1: I know that you will do the best for your
0: patients because you have a real heart for the people around you and you have empathy as well. And having been a patient yourself, you have a knowledge of where there is greater need for caring physicians. So, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I wish you all the best with that.
1: Right. I want people to like they're not a statistic.
0: You want people to feel like they're not a statistic?
1: Yes, ma'am.
0: Yeah. And that's how, you know, it, especially the healthcare system has become this big machine. And it's very money-driven and people get lost in that process. And what right. is most You're exactly needed, right. Yeah, what's most needed is someone to care, someone to hear right. what the needs are and take the time and... You know, the elderly especially don't have advocates. Like you're saying, they don't have people to vouch for them or to demand quality care. And a lot of times they're neglected and abused and don't have access to the care that, that everyone deserves. So
1: Right. You're exactly right.
0: Well, I know that you are constantly facing new challenges and needing more funding, needing more support in different areas. You mentioned needing a constant stream of volunteers and also your dreams for the next several years to grow the organization. What are some of the needs that you have that you need filled? You said you have a trailer that you are working toward being able to distribute food. Throughout the community at the mobile kitchen. I know you also mentioned working with Team Rubicon and different groups in, after disasters. What are some of the current needs that you need filled right now for donations or that are coming up with the plans that you're unveiling and working towards right now?
1: Um, we're working towards work another walk in free because I'm actually running out of room. We got a 36 pallet donation yesterday of pork product and we were stretched. We got it on the building. And we send it out to other local organizations at a federal and Rosewood and a couple more here. And four of my outreach changes came and got to fill up their freezer. So we're looking towards another walk-in freezer. Volunteers are always in need. Um, donations, food, perishables, financial donations, they're always a big need as well. And tables and chairs for the trailer as well. So the tables and chairs you're going to set up
0: when you you go into a community and set up a place to eat? Or or are you stationed somewhere where people come and order food? How do Um, you, where you put the tables and chairs?
1: So the tables and chairs are for the disaster response team that we do during any kind of natural disaster. um, So they can actually sit down and eat as a family because I actually sat with a little girl during the last hurricane on the ground and we ate supper together because there was nowhere to go. Their house was flooded. Their car was flooded. They had nowhere to go. So we actually sat down on the sidewalk and we ate together. So that's one of the reasons that I want tables and chairs for the trailers so that people can sit together and actually see that there's a way out.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think so many times, In disasters, people think, you know, food, water, shelter, take care of some of these immediate needs, but people don't often take time to sit with people, and when you have lost everything and life has been turned upside down, it's very overwhelming, and to have someone come alongside you and to take the time to hear your story or just sit quietly next to you, it makes a real big impact, and I really think that creating the space to eat as a family creates a level of stability, uh, dignity, something that's familiar to them. And that's really great. And I think what's so great about what you're doing is not just that you're doing something, not just that you're so young, not just that you are making a big impact and it's continuing to grow, but the way in which you are approaching each of these things is really significant the way that you are creating dignity with the people who come through the food pantry, the way that you really listen to the needs that they have and help that inform the next things that you're doing. And like you're saying, feeding people after disaster and really sitting with them and taking time and making it possible for them to sit as a family and treating everybody as family. I think across the country and around the world, what we need more of is kindness and we need more community and creating that in the pockets in which you work and we just, we need more of that. So that's, that's awesome. Kudos to you.
1: I'm hoping that will be a ripple effect and people across the country start doing that, whether it's not on the scale maybe that we have, but maybe it starts with opening the door for somebody and saying, thank you. Things that have been lost in our society, we have to go back to neighbors helping neighbors and not judging people for the situations they're in because you never know what brought them to that situation. They may have made the best decision they could make at that time. And oftentimes we forget that because it may not be how we would reacted. but everybody's different. And that's what our volunteers have tried to look beyond. Instead of saying, this person doesn't look like they need this, but you never know somebody in their family could have been sick. They could have lost one paycheck. They could have gotten hurt. There's all different scenarios. And regardless, I don't know why they can't they come to my door. sometimes it might not be just about food. It may be that they just got to sit and talk to somebody for ten minutes that didn't mm-hmm. judge them so mm-hmm. that's what I want people to take away from my pantry because anybody can give away food. There's lots of pantries all over our country, but what we need to do is not just hand on a box of food but actually talk to them and find out what their needs are and and what they're battling. I mean, it may be something we can help, and it may not be something we can help. But for 15 minutes, we can make their day a little better.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, I'm sure
0: that your work has already had ripple effects in your community and beyond, and the people who volunteer with you, too. I'm sure that they're impacted by working with you, meeting the needs in the community, and getting the opportunity to understand better the needs and the people that they're that you're working
1: with, and I think that helped us understand too people's needs with the last hurricane I've always been a food source for the county and across eastern North Carolina, but last hurricane, my mom and I spent a night at the pantry, so we would be ready the next morning to start cooking for the shelters at four thirty, and we woke up at two thirty, and my pantry was flooded. We were about a foot and a half um, standing in water, so a local my local fire department had to come get us. And I cried all the way because my whole security was gone. And then I realized maybe I was being shown the reality of the people I serve. I was on the flip side, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how I was going to serve people the next day. So we posted on Facebook that night at 2.30. I needed a place to move all the food, to make the meals. And one of my outreach churches gave me their fellowship hall in their kitchen. So for three weeks, we were in their church. We took over. And they rallied to help people from everywhere would come and pick up plates and help distribute while Team Rivicon came and gutted my pantry. Then I knew exactly, I knew what teamwork was, that for people to come across the country because I posted I was in trouble. And they came and did what I had done for them. So that's what I tell people. You never know when you might be on the flip side and you need the help. And that really brought it home to me because my whole security was gone. Not that the pantry is my wife, but my home and my pantry are my home. And I just stood and watched and I thought everything was lost. That's something that can happen in the blink of an eye. And I Mm -hmm. want people to understand that your world can be turned upside down. You may lose one paycheck and you have to be at the pantry. So imagine how you want to be treated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have worked in disaster response for years. And I just feel so much gratitude for people who show up when it's needed most, because I feel personally like they're giving to me when they're donating to things that are needed. And when they're donating their time, it just gives me such perspective to be there. And I'm sure it's given you a lot of perspective to have been the recipient of Generosity from your community and from your volunteers, and to be that conduit of generosity back to the community, it really brings it full circle. But it also it, it fills you up as well. And so I can imagine does.
1: you may be you may feel like you can't go anymore. Like we met Team Rubicon in Wharton, Texas, during Hurricane Harvey, with a community center that was the lifeline of that community. And walking through that, we carried eighteen thousand pounds of supplies to them. And they just stood there and cried, you know, and mm-hmm. we were complaining about the 20-hour trip. But when we got there and they, we got all out of the truck and looked around, those people were so grateful. So on your worst days and how tired you are, it doesn't matter. When you see these people and see how appreciative they are, not just in my community, but we've been all over the state and four more states, we're all at the end of the day have the same needs. And we mm-hmm, forget mm-hmm. that. It shouldn't matter what color we are, what nationality we are, what our economic status are. We all have the same dice needs. Absolutely.
0: It's really inspiring to hear from someone who is doing something to make an impact in their community and that is not just doing that, but working towards bigger and bigger goals. I think that's okay. really um, just really inspiring and I think there are so many people that see things that need to change and think that they're not qualified to do that or that they don't have the time or resources. And one of the things I love about your story is that there are no barriers. Anything's possible. It will work out. You know, people will come through and and they have. I'm sure been really stressful at times where you're not sure how it's all going to work out but you have a very positive outlook in what you're doing and what your community can help and show up for. And I think the motivation of what you're doing is what is keeping it going and keeping that, that focus. So, yeah, I, I think having you share that story is, is what is most impactful because you're the one who's, who's built it and been doing this. And So I think we forget that so often and live in our own bubbles where we're not aware of the needs around us. And you are an inspiration, Kinsey, doing what you can where you are and so much more than so many people. And so I am really grateful for what you're doing. And I know that you're inspiring people across the country and meeting a lot of needs that are existing in your community and with the people that you serve every day. So thank you so much for what you're doing and thank you for taking the time to share your story. One thing I do like to ask people is if there's one word that they really, they really resonate with or that sums up what they're doing or is just really meaningful to them. Do you have a word that comes to mind?
1: Have compassion for other people and don't judge them. I think that's what, I've tried, I've had to learn, everybody needs to learn that because that judging people puts a barrier up. And I think that's a big thing that's in our society right now. We judge people that aren't like us, but everybody's different. So all we have to do is be kind. It's just that simple. Even when you get frustrated, be kind because it comes back to you. Yeah. If there was one
0: thing that you could, a message that you could share with the world, what would it be?
1: You can make a difference, no matter your age, how old you are, I mean, your economic status, your religious, your race, it doesn't matter. You can make a difference in the world one day at a time, one person at a time. You just have to have heart and just a little bit of time, something that we all have. We just have to manage it so we can do that.
0: Well, you're making such a difference, Kenzie, so thank you so much for what you're doing and... I hope that you get all the support you need. If people wanted to support your work, what is the website that they could go to to donate? It's madmadpantry.org, And the well,
1: Facebook page is a make a difference Food Pantry Nonprofit. But the website is madmadpantry.org. M-A-D, pantry.
0: Excellent. Well, I will put that up too, and hopefully we can get some support for you and the needs that you have
1: and keep keep up the great work. Thank you so much for taking time to share my story. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You've been
0: listening to The Way Life Should Be, music written by Jenny and Tyler entitled Love Through Me. Follow us online at Life Be Podcast for updates. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.